0: All right, you guys know I've been I've been trying to figure out a way to, to refer to this series as the PB and J series. Have, have we joked about that already? I've made that joke multiple times. I thought Elise was still sitting behind you. Her husband said, "Here's a great like here's how you can do it. Paul, Jesus, and the B is." the bible so you know and i was i've always kind of like joked about you know name of this but i couldn't figure out because it's it's again this intersection of paul paul's letters right this we've been in corinthians um he he's obviously always kind of referring back to jesus or or dealing with church issues but when he refers back to jesus occasionally he kind of even goes deeper into the old testament and begins to bring the old testament for for jesus so um phil Elise 's husband says, "Hey, well, what about the Bible like Paul Jesus, and the Bible and, and I thought it was like oh that doesn't that doesn 't quite eh. but here's here 's what I thought about as you know it kind of dawned on me later, and this is really important for us to think about the bible or the Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus read right Jesus that was his Bible, the old testament the the first five books of the Bible you know, specifically Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He would have read and known the prophets. He would have studied the, the history of Israel. Like Jesus would have known, studied, read the Old Testament. That was the Bible that he read. It's really important for us as we think about the Old Testament too. And as we kind of are going back and forth between the Old Testament to the New Testament and Paul's letters, that we remember that the Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read. So, We're going to take the Old Testament, the Bible. I was just giving props to your husband for, were you there when he said that, you know, to make my series, the PB&J series, the Bible. So the Bible is the Old, is the Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read. So it was kind of a, a little bit more, it took me a little bit to warm my brain up to that idea, but then I really thought about it and was like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's the Bible that Jesus read. So maybe I'll make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for us all now that we really got it dialed in. First Corinthians chapter ten is where we'll be. First Corinthians chapter ten. I've kind of felt over the past couple of weeks too that I've been doing a lot of talking and a lot of speaking and preaching and all that nonsense—not nonsense, all that stuff. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach a little shorter this morning, and then it just so happens that there's a cornhole tournament over there. I'm gonna break us off in teams, and you're gonna kind of have your own little team to to do some some Bible mission work stuff. And I'll, I'll explain that as we get along, but, um, we'll have our own biblical corn, cornhole tournament. Oh Lord, help me. Here we go. So Corinthians 10, I want to talk about the first 13 verses here. Again, Paul begins talking about Jesus and then he goes all the way back to the old Testament. He goes all the way back into Exodus. Um, so verse one says, um, for I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. So, so Paul right here is already going back, referring to this kind of Exodus moment, the cloud that led them during the day, the fire that led them at night, they passed through the sea, the, the crossing of the Red Sea. He says they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, right? He, there he's kind of making a reference to the manna that God pr- provided in the desert and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual, from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. Re- remember that little phrase right there, the spiritual rock that accompanied them and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And, and when Paul says this, it, it seems like a little bit of a callous kind of statement. as like, you know, hey, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. From, from the Israelites leaving Egypt to the time they traverse the 40 years through the wilderness, do you know how many of like the, the first generation, so to speak, Israelites that, that leave Actually, make it into the wilderness, I mean, into the promised land. Two Joshua and Aaron are the only two that enter into the wilderness, so or into the promised land. So, as they as they make it through the, the wilderness again, kind of the original folks from Egypt, there's only two that's that's mentioned. So, you have this kind of opening passage where it talks about all the things that God did. Now, verse six, Paul says, These things occurred. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of ages has come. So if you think that you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to us all. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Now, the image here again, the, the Paul, the Jesus, the Old Testament image is found in kind of verse, verse 4, where it talks about Christ um, as this spiritual rock that accompanies them right? The spiritual rock that accompanies them. Now, I want to show you this because I think that this is worth our time to, to again, go back into the Bible that Jesus read into the Old Testament. And and if you want to flip back to Numbers 33, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, the fourth book of the Bible. In Numbers 33, what's what's kind of interesting here is, is you get like You get the the stages, it's a list of the stages of Israel's journey, the places that they go to, right? And and Numbers 33 starts out by saying, here are the stages in the journey of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, kind of on their way to the promised land, right? So Numbers 33, in verse 11, kind of at the beginning of this this stage, um, it says that they left the Red Sea, right? And then they camped in the desert of sin, S-I-N, the desert of sin. Now, the desert of sin isn't referring to, you know, that there was a lot of sinning that was happening there. It just was referring to the, 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 the name of the place, right? So they go at the beginning of the desert or at the, after they cross the Red Sea into the desert of sin. If you go then all the way down to verse 36, um, towards the end of their journey, it says, then they left Zion-Geber, um, at Kadesh in the desert of Zin. So at the beginning, it's a little confusing. You go to, they went to the desert of Sin. And then at the end, they go to the desert of Zin with a Z. Now, why are these two places significant? Again, kind of go backwards a little bit to the left. Go back to Numbers 20. We're going to go in go reverse a little bit this morning. Numbers 20. One of the things that happens in, in Numbers 20, if you've got a Bible or maybe you're looking on your app, and the heading there is is the water from the rock. In, in Numbers 20, it's kind of towards the end of the, the Israelites' journey. And God tells Moses, he says, Moses, well, first off, the Israelites come and complain. And they, they start grumbling and complaining to Moses. Moses, we don't have food. We don't have water. You've brought us out here to die. This is the worst thing in the world. We, we'd be happier back in Egypt. So in Numbers 20, in the desert of Zin... Right? They complain and God says to Moses, I want, you, I want you to go speak to this rock. And when you speak to this rock, water will come forth from the rock. Well, Moses kind of listens, but he doesn't. And what Moses does is he takes his staff and he strikes the rock. He hits the rock, right? And water comes from the rock, but God says, because you didn't obey me, because you didn't listen to me and do what I told you to do by speaking to the rock, I'm not going to allow you to enter into the promised land, right? And and let me just say this as a pastor too, and, and somebody who studies the Bible, this has kind of been always one of the passages that have, that has kind of troubled me, right? Because the punishment seems so severe. Like Moses was was God's guy, right? Like he calls him. He leads the Israelites for 40 years through the wilderness, this rabble of complainers and grumblers and disobedient people. And he shows great leadership and God gives him this command and he, he seemingly makes this kind of small mistake. And God says, well, for that, you're not allowed to go into the promised land, but you're not allowed to enter into the promised land. Somebody else is going to do it. Um, and, and like I said, this is just one of the passages that's always kind of troubled me. I've struggled with um, and it's one of those ones where I'm gonna, you know, at one point I want to ask ask the Lord and talk to Moses. Maybe we can sit down the three of us and what happened here, man? Why why did you go so so hard on Moses here? Like he he just made a small mistake. So Numbers 20, Moses uh, strikes the rock when God told him he should have spoken to the rock. Go back a little bit more to the left to Exodus. So Numbers. To the left, then you would go Leviticus, then Exodus 17. And again, this this is kind of at the beginning of the journey, right? They they've just again they've just crossed the Red Sea. Um, so in Exodus 17, the Israelites come out into this desert of sin. Um, the whole 17 one, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. And then they set up camp and there's no water for the people. Verse two, they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink, right? And and why are you quarreling with me? And they complain. Um, So Moses goes to God and he says, hey, God, I want you to, uh, you know, God, can you help me out? And God says, okay, here's a rock. And this time at the beginning of the desert, God says to strike the rock, right? At the end of the desert, God says to speak to the rock. So Moses strikes the rock and provides water. Now, it's, what, well, I wanted to point this out because you have, these two, you have these two situations happening. Again, you have at the very beginning, you have the desert of sin. At the very ending, you have the desert of Zin. Here, Moses is told to strike the rock. Here, Moses is told to speak to the rock. Right, And I mean, the the, the Israelites wandering probably looked something a little bit like this as they kind of made their way through the desert. Um, So they wander through the desert, but you have at the beginning this rock that's with them. Again, think about verse four in Corinthians, right? In Corinthians 10, you have with them here at the end, this, this rock. And what a lot of the commentators and, you know, there was this tradition that developed that. The rock actually in some kind of miraculous way actually traveled with them. Right? Normally, when you think about the Exodus narrative, we think about the Exodus narrative in the sense of, oh yeah, remember they had the they had the cloud that, that they would follow during the day, they had the pillar of fire at night. But it was interesting that a lot of the the kind of the ancient sources, the rabbis and the midrash believed that this rock, um, this Rolling Stone, for all you Rolling Stone fans out there, if you wanted to think of it like that, it actually traveled with them, right? So if you go all the way back to Corinthians, go back to Corinthians 10. And while you're turning there, just imagine yourself on a warm, sunny beach somewhere. And it just gets warmer. You also just got to think of yourself. You're laying there. It's hot outside. You're not shivering. <laughs> right? So again, verse 3, it says, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Paul almost kind of seems to be indicating that this rock that provided the water was with them the whole time, right? This rock, one of the commentators or one of the ancient sources says this rock rolled and went along with Israel and it was the rock that Moses struck. Um, And this is is why, why, and, and there's this whole other sermon that maybe I'll do at another point, but when we just think about Christ as the rock that accompanies us through all of our journeys, providing us with, the water that we need for day-to-day life, right? Just that spiritual water that we need for day. And I'm going to come back to that at the very end of the sermon. Here's what I want to focus, focus in on. Because chapter 10 opens with God's faithfulness. It talks about how God provided food for them, how God provided water for them, how God led them by the cloud. But you have this middle section here in verses 6 through 10 that you have these five warnings, right? We're going to have these five warnings. And does anybody have, I need something to erase. Anybody have a, what what you got over there? I see Chris going for it. That's perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah. Um, Because I want to write a couple other things. So verses 6 through 10 have these warnings, right? And we're going to read these warnings that, that Paul is given. He says, go back and look at what happened to the Israelites, right? And let that serve as example for you. Let, that, let these, these be warnings for you, right? And I want to look at these, these uh, five warnings, you know, really based in the Old Testament. And this is kind of where you're going to start doing a little bit of your work, um, So here's the five warnings. The first one is setting our hearts on evil things. The second one is practicing idolatry. The third one is sexual immorality. The fourth, the fourth one is testing God. And the fifth one is grumbling. Um, now, y- you might look at these warnings, right? And if you're kind of like me, you can look at these warnings and be like, phew, good, that's not me. Like, I don't, I'm not like, you know, into the evil stuff. There's some people who are, I I don't bow down to, you know, those little golden statues or whatever. I don't, I don't practice idolatry. I'm not into idol worship, you know, sexual immorality. Yeah, there's some real, some real weirdo sexual people, but that's not me for the most part, part. Or, or testing God. Now, and you might kind of look at this list and just be like, well, let Eric go ahead and preach to those serious sinners. And, and I'll, I can just kind of look up at the trees and enjoy. But here's, here's the deal. It just takes a little bit of observation to see how absolutely relevant all of these are to our lives. Okay? And what I'm going to do here, here's, here's where we're going to do a little bit of group work. We're going to do five groups. Okay? And so you're going you're gonna to get in a small group. I'm going to give a little thought on each one. And then just as Paul wrote a warning to us, you're going to kind of have an opportunity to write your own little sentence or two warning, right? And then you'll, you'll kind of warn. We're going to warn one another. We're going to kind of write some warnings to one another. Does that make sense? I'll give you a little bit more instruction. But let me do the groups first, okay? You need five groups. Let me think here. What about the back row? Can you guys get together? Can we get the, the three, the best looking men right here at, in the church right here together? So one, two. And then I'm going to split you guys up. Or, oh no, do you guys want to stay together? You wanna, I would, let's do this. Ashley and Chase, you guys got to either pick the guns or the Schaffers. It's a tough choice. Okay. And Johnny, what are you doing back there? Discounting your money? You're a big baller. Look at you over there, man. So you guys pick, is that right? One, two, three. I'm one short. <laughs> um, let's just do four. Why don't you guys just pick one, either go with the guns or the shapers, and then um, yeah. So do that real quick. Okay. Move into, move into that spot. Let me give you let me give you each group. I'm gonna just give you a word or two to, to each group. And then after I do that, um, again, just kind of listen in. I'm gonna give you guys warning number one, I'll give you guys warning number two, warning number three. So you'll be able to listen into each warning, but you'll uh, you'll definitely listen specifically to your to your warning. And let me do this too. Um, probably be helpful to have. You got a pen and paper, right? What's up? You guys got uh, something to write on? You got a pen and paper? Okay, then just you guys can just use this one. There you go. All right. Warning number one: Setting our hearts on evil things. This is found again in verse six. The Old Testament reference. This might be helpful to to write down. Is Numbers eleven. Um, Numbers 11, and this is verses 4 through 35. You can kind of focus on 4 to 6, and 31 through uh, 35. Those are the kind of references. Now, when we think about um, this kind of setting our hearts on evil things, one of the things that was helpful for me is I, I looked in the different translations. I looked into the Passion translation, and I looked into the Message translation. Um, they say it like this. They, say, they translate this, this phrase, you know, setting our hearts on evil things, which is kind of like this. Wanting our own way. That's the way that the, the message translation translates it. Craving worthless things, right? So Paul gives us this warning, right? Don't set your heart on evil things. Think about the Old Testament reference, right? Where, again, in Numbers they're, they're complaining about manna because they don't have any meat. They're sick of the manna, now they want meat, so they begin craving all this meat. We should go back to Israel, right? Think about those two kind of paraphrases in the message, wanting our own way, craving worthless things. And then out of that, just write a sentence or two. If you were to write a warning to, to us, how would you craft it? Have fun, have fun with it. It can be severe, it can be serious. There's, there's no right or wrong answer. We're not going to judge you and be like, hey, you guys are so far off, okay? So just wait for a second and I'll tell you when to start. In the back. Idolatry, right? I'd like you guys are number one. That's you guys, okay? You guys are going to be number two, this idolatry. And this is found in verse 7 in Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians ten seven. The Old Testament reference is going to be Exodus 32, 1 through 6. This is the great story of the golden calf, which we're familiar with, right? Moses is up on the mountain. The Israelites are down below. They're fashioning this golden calf. When we think of idolatry, often what comes to mind is, is golden statues, little Buddha figures. I just was watching Indiana Jones and the, the Temple of Doom where they have those rocks that everybody bows down to, right? Idolatry... Right? Idols are good things that become ultimate things. Right? Good things that become ultimate things. Idolatry, right? practicing idolatry, which we don't think like, oh, that's me. Or idol worship. Idol worship is simply to bow down, to kiss the hand, to make sacrifices to other gods. When we think about idolatry, right? think about how relevant that phrase is. To, to us, to make sacrifices to career, to status, to youth, to financial security, to relational security, to political parties. Think about all the things in our lives, all the good things that we make sacrifices towards. And maybe a question as we think about idolatry, right? Again, something that you make a sacrifice for. Where am I? What sacrifices in my life am I making for Christ? And what sacrifices am I making for idols? Good things that become ultimate things. So again, a sentence or two. Fun, funny, serious, severe, um, sincere. However you want to roll it. That's that's going to be you guys. Number number two. Um, sexual immorality. Number three. We could skip that one if you guys want to do testing God or grumbling. The Old Testament reference is going to be Numbers 25. Numbers 25, 1 through 9. What happens here here is the Israelite men, as they're kind of journeying through the wilderness, they begin to marry Moabite women. And they begin to then sacrifice to their idols. Um, this one, this kind of sexual immorality, I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this is, this is one that might be a little bit more straightforward uh, in our society where we, we, we kind of have understanding for that. Um, and my, my challenge to you as you guys kind of think about writing a warning. How would you warn the church about sexual immorality? How would we warn one another about sexual immorality? The the thought that came to my mind was, and this is just maybe a thought for you guys to, to jump off. If you were to give a teen, if you were to give your teenager the talk, right? If you were to sit down and have that talk with your teen, Brian, you are shaking your head like, <laughs> right? You already figured it out. Um, what would you want to say to your, like, I'm thinking about, she's not, I'm thinking about my daughter, Julia, like, I'm going to have to probably have this talk with her in a couple of years. Like, this isn't that far away. What would you say to them? What would you want to warn them about? How would you want to guide and teach your child about sexuality um, in light of this world that we live in and in light of what the gospel and the Bible and the words um, revealed through Jesus teach us, Okay. So you're going to, guys, are going to, again, a little warning about sexual immorality. And then you guys, at the very end, last but not least, pick it. Testing God or grumbling? I think a choice. They get a choice. Grumbling. grumbling. The one that you're going to, the reference that you're going to go to is Numbers 16, 41 through 50. Numbers 16, 41 through 50. Um, Again, the Israelites just, if you read the Old Testament, they just complain and they grumble a lot. They're complaining to Moses and Aaron. Um, And a few years ago in a sermon, I spent some time talking about grumbling or complaining And it was based on, in the story of the prodigal son, right? The son comes home, the dad kills the fattened calf, they have the party. Here comes the older son from the field, and he says, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you, and you've never given me anything. And I challenged us back then, and I'll I'll challenge us again as a church today, right? To live a week, a month, a day, without complaining, right? Grumbling, another great synonym for grumbling is just complaining, right? And when we think about how prevalent, how often we complain, right? Back then I had this this reference to the traffic, which traffic has kind of disappeared for the most part, hasn't it? It's been one of the wonderful things about the coronavirus with everybody working at home, schools being closed. There's just not any traffic really for the most part anymore. It was nothing, right? Now it's like kind of starting to, huh? It will come back with a vengeance. So we can see, I know we'll start complaining about the traffic again, right? But we complain about the traffic. Maybe a more relevant example. My internet is so slow and we can't get 15 different devices logged on, right? We complain about the internet. We complain about how crazy our kids are making us. We complain about having to go to our in-laws for dinner. We complain about people not turning off the lights or leaving the heater on or the front door is always open. We, we have all these little, and again, first world issues, problems. We complain, we grumble, we moan, we bellyache, we want to get our own way. If you were to write a warning about grumbling, right? How complaining, how would you do that? Okay, now, again, with the warnings funny, severe, one of the things I noticed when I was kind of doing some research about warnings when you think about a warning on a cigarette pack right the, the the kind of most recent warnings that they're doing now is like here's a dead person on a cigarette pack right like their their neck is wide open and their face is like it's it's really grotesque. Has anybody seen this right no um, it's really it's like it's super severe and and sometimes warnings you know, maybe you see like a warning where, you know, if you spill acid on your hand, like your hand's gonna fall up. You know, like sometimes warnings can, can kind of be that extreme. Um if you tell you see your kid running in the street, what do, what's gonna happen to your kid if they run in the street? A car's gonna hit him and they're gonna die, and it's just like, okay, well that might be a little extreme. But you wanna create that sense of urgency in your warning so that people will not do that particular activity or behavior. So as you're riding again, one or two sentences, nothing crazy, nothing wild, severe, funny, um, sincere. Um, Take a little bit of this. Just take five. It shouldn't take us more than like five, seven minutes. And then we'll just share them with one another as a church and and we'll kind of wrap it up after that. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, just kind of rewrite the warning. Yeah, just kind of create your own warning. Like, how would you write a warning about... I got it.